Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. My guests today are Jose Arrieta, who's currently the CIO at the Department of Health and Human Services, but he was the Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary for Grants, Acquisition Policy, and Accountability when we spoke a few months ago. Also joining the discussion is Michael McFarlane, the Director of the Office of Acquisition Business Systems, Murray Jimenez, a procurement analyst in the Division of Acquisition, and Ali Porgasami, the industry liaison at HHS. Thanks so much for taking the time. We're talking today about the Accelerate platform that HHS launched in December. So let me, let me start with Jose. Uh, give us a status update on that effort. How many users? How How's it working? The Accelerate platform, uh, we started working on it on April 17th of 2018. We started with human-centered design sessions to actually map out the acquisition lifecycle across HHS. What we learned from April 17th to June is there are 60 business systems that support acquisition across HHS, five of which are contract writing systems. From June until October, we actually developed a platform on blockchain operating system that does the fouling. Um, It creates a mechanism to engage with the industry base. We want to lessen the burden on the industry base doing business with health and human services. We want to automate SAM.gov poll, automate validation and verification, automate reps and search checks, create an immutable record of any RFI that that an industry partner may submit to health and human services to respond to something so that they have it and they don't have to resubmit it again. They can reuse it multiple times. The second step that we wanted to accomplish and accelerate and we built from June to October before the ATO is we wanted to enable the program manager, a program manager that comes to HHS and is the top cancer researcher in the world um, doesn't want to come here and learn the FAR. They want to come here and solve cancer. So what we did is we created an automated capability leveraging machine learning to extract data from the five contract writing systems and actually build a market research report on the basis of the goals, objectives, risks, stakeholders, timeline, and stakeholder engagement strategy that a program manager would answer questions about. That is enabling them with the information that they need to actually write an acquisition plan, which gets them to the point of acquisition quicker. The third thing we built uh, from that June to October timeframe was an analytical capability. You know, if you walk through Target right now and you go to buy something and you pull up a price on Amazon of whatever you're buying and it's cheaper, the Target cashier will give you a discount. Uh, Acquisition professionals, contracting professionals at HHS are not empowered with insight and information like that. In fact, they're not empowered with insight and information like that anywhere across the federal government. So by connecting with the five contract writing systems, we've created the ability to extract prices paid in terms and conditions from the five contract writing systems and within one second display highest price, lowest price, medium price, 37 different contracts that may be available for the purchase of gloves or a software license and provide that information to the contracting professional using natural language processing to align terms and conditions so that they can make and use that information at the point of purchase to negotiate pricing. So we created those capabilities because we did not want to invest in an entire system. We wanted to invest in some some ability for the industry partner, some capability for the program manager, some capability for the acquisition professional, and a blockchain layer, an immutable record of data that was a representation of the five contract writing systems that exist across HHS. We then use that to go through all of the review processes that exist in the agency. We're building the corner of a puzzle instead of a whole puzzle. We're not building a puzzle with a picture on it. We're building a puzzle that's white, and we're just building the corner so we can get through the review processes. And we went through the ATO process. 
Now what we've done is we've said, okay, the agency, by giving us the ATO and by approving us throughout the review process, has approved the Accelerate platform and has stated through their actions that they want us to continue to invest in the Accelerate platform. So since December 10th, when we actually received the ATO, uh, what we've been doing is testing our infrastructure. We've been testing the analytics uh, for prices paid analysis and terms and conditions analysis on software licenses, as an example. We've been testing the ability to ingest data from the five contract writing systems to make sure that the infrastructure is valid, to make sure that the infrastructure can scale. We've been refining the containerized microservices that we've built for industry engagement, for uh, engagement with the program manager and providing the program manager information. And then we've actually built out the entire acquisition lifecycle. So we actually since December have built out all of acquisition planning all the way to the point of contract closeout. Now it's important to note that everything that we've built, and, and Maria will touch on this in her comments, everything we've built has been built through human-centered design sessions. We've had over 200 human-centered design sessions. It's a representation of about 2,500 members of the acquisition workforce across HHS. We have a couple of them every week, and in three-week sprints, we're building capability and then showing them the capability that we built and letting them provide feedback on it. So this isn't something that Jose, Maria, Michael, and Ali created. This is something that the acquisition workforce at Health and Human Services actually created from every single operating division across Health and Human Services. That's why we've been able to go fast, uh, and that's why we've been able to get to the point that we are now. All right, so there's a lot there to unpack. Initially, when you think about Accelerate, the, the first thing that came to my mind, at least, was a consolidation. But you guys said, we're not going to try to take these five contract rating systems will go down to one, we're gonna set up almost a layer on top that's gonna to just pull the data in and then use that data more effectively and then forcing contracting officers, program managers to go, well, I'm gonna use this contracting rating system for this specific purpose and then use a different contract rating system for another purpose. Talk a little bit about where Accelerate lives, I guess. It's, it lives to me on top, right? We're, Accelerate is a, is a platform that allows us to evolve to a different way of doing business. And so what I mean by that is we have five contract writing systems. Our contract specialists and contracting officers are continuing to use those five contract writing systems right now. What we're doing now is we're automatically ingesting data from those five contract writing systems. We're testing it so that we can do it on a large scale. We're going to automatically ingest that data into the blockchain, and then we're going to use the blockchain as an attestation layer. What do I mean by that? When you go into a bar, they check your ID. They check your ID to see if you're 21. But the information you provide on your ID is your first name, your last name, your birthday, the fact that you're 21, and your address. All of that information is not needed for you to get into that bar. So what we've done is created this attestation layer of data that's updated in real time from the five contract writing systems. And then we've actually rebuilt the acquisition lifecycle using something called microservices, artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotic process automation, off of that attestation layer. So we've written a little pieces of code that automate a financial responsibility determination for a contracting officer, and then we test it. And what we will do in the Q1 of next fiscal year, so Q1 of, of 2020, so in October, we will actually start to test cutting over our contracting professionals from using the existing contract writing system they have to using Accelerate. 
and, be, and because Accelerate is automated and because Accelerate provides insight to all the data, 100,000 contracts and $24.2 billion in spend that exists across the department, we think that it'll be a better tool for the entire department. Now, the cool thing here is we are not forcing people to learn a new business process. If you think about the last 100 years of business, we've taught people how to learn a business process that's standard for two reasons. One, to minimize risk, and two, to minimize cost. What we're doing is we're creating a standardized data set, and we're allowing for decentralized execution of acquisition at the individual level. And we're using this blockchain network, this ecosystem we built, to have insight into behavior that's occurring across the network, across the ecosystem, so that we can enforce the rules and regulations that apply to federal acquisition. So the way that CDC uses the microservices that execute the entire acquisition lifecycle, not just contract writing, from vendor engagement to contract closeout, could be different than the way NIH uses it. But the infrastructure layer and the data that they operate off of will be exactly the same. And we believe that's going to give us a lot of flexibility, and we believe that we'll more than achieve the ROI numbers that you've heard me publicly talk about many times uh, because we believe that's the future operating model of acquisition in the federal government. One of the things that, that when you talk through it is you each piece you built and each of the, the talking to the acquisition professionals, what was the reaction as you started to go through this, as you laid out the plan and, and laid out the step? Did you have to kind of get those early wins? Did you have to kind of get those people to, to buy in early? Or were people like, yes, please give us something new? Okay, I'm going to pass that question to Maria Jimenez, who's been spearheading this and has done a wonderful job uh, and, and, and really has a lot of insight on this. One of the exciting things about this particular project from a contracting acquisition professional perspective is the fact that this, for the first time, many of our operational divisions, they had never participated in a process that really um, came to them first at the get-go from the very beginning, started asking them, well, what are your pain points when you engage um, with the legacy systems that you have to use to get your acquisition documentation and your processes done? So for them, it was very interesting. You would get reactions such as there was some level of fear, uh, some apprehension. You have, you know, some um, misunderstandings about what this technology, uh, the implications that it may have on the workforce. You may have some fear about what um, automating certain processes will do to the function of, of a procurement analyst. And so there is some level of engagement. It has to happen very early. It has to happen very directly. You have to be very open to having even some conflict um, in the room when you're doing human-centered design. There may be some uh, very challenging questions that you'll come upon. There's education that has to be done at the be very beginning. But once you get the conversation going, it's a fascinating process. They feel very validated in their concerns because, again, many, many times they're facing challenges. I mean, something from, you know, how long it takes to them for them to do uh, an acquisition using these various systems, coming in, in and out of a system, having to put together documentation with various spreadsheets. It sounds very simple when you're thinking about, you know, okay, an individual puts together these documents, but it really isn't in practice. And so one of the wonderful things that we were able to do was really to observe them as they engaged with their with the systems that they used, and then ask them about their pain points and ask them how long it would take them to put some of this uh, information together. So 
the prospect of streamlining these processes, of uh, reducing the time that they have to input into these systems, um, just making it so much easier so that they can then, a lot of these tedious uh, functions that they would have to go through really gets, you know, reduced down to where they can actually, the analytical part of their job, they, it really allows them to do that, to be an, a true analyst and be able to, like, you know, analyze um, what's before them, engage with the vendor community, et cetera. So it's been, I think, for the most part, um, a very engaging um, opportunity for our workforce to participate in this. Michael, go ahead. It's been interesting to be part of this. As we go through these sessions, we find um, it kind of repeating. We start with folks who haven't seen it before. They are kind of withdrawn. They're kind of, you know, show me. Uh, and, and then it'll start to click, and then they start asking a bunch of questions, and giving, and then they start seeing themselves in the system, and really engaging, and then it becomes, it starts coming so fast. The the people who are running the sessions and, and taking down notes can hardly keep up because they're just going this this this, and I'd like this, and I like that, I don't like this, and then. So many times we end the sessions and you hear from these folks, sometimes on the phone, they're spread around the country, sometimes in the room, that are saying, this is a system that I've wanted for 10 years. This is something that we can actually use. And it's, it's as an 1102 for 30 years, that's very satisfying to me. We have to take a break. My guests today are Jose Arrieta, the Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary for Grants, Acquisition Policy, and Accountability at the Department of Health and Human Services, and currently the HHS CIO. Michael McFarlane, the Director of the Office of Acquisition Business Systems. Maria Jimenez, a procurement analyst in the Division of Acquisition. And Ali Pergasami, an industry liaison at HHS. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. Today, we're talking with the Department of Health and Human Services about their new contract writing system. My guests today, Jose Arrieta, the former Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary for Grants, Acquisition Policy, and Accountability at HHS. Jose Arrieta currently is the HHS CIO. Michael McFarlane, the Director of the Office of Acquisition Business Systems. Maria Jimenez, a procurement analyst in the Division of Acquisition, and Ali Porgasami, an industry liaison at HHS. This is not done just within acquisition. You guys are bringing in other parts of HHS. Uh, I imagine you've worked closely with the CIO shop on the technology side, but you've also worked with maybe the CFO shop. Talk about the intra-agency effort that, that you guys created through this effort. So you can't achieve any change in a federal agency without engaging stakeholders. And, and Ogi Mack actually had a meeting uh, at this time, so he couldn't be on this call. Uh, but what we did is, rather than go through all of the processes in a linear fashion, rather than engage the CFO for approval in a linear fashion, rather than engage the CIO in a linear fashion, rather than engage the CISO in a linear, linear fashion, rather than kind of ask for meetings along the way with the reimagine team. What we did is we kind of engaged them in a circular fashion. So I started here on January 9th of 2018. We wrote a business plan from January 9th to April 17th, and we shared it with the CIO, and we shared it with the CISO, and we shared it with the chief financial officer shop, which is where I actually work. 
Uh, and we said, look, could you give us some feedback? We're going to come back in two weeks and we're going to, we'd love your feedback. And then we came back in two weeks and said, hey, any feedback on the business plan, guys? Oh, and by the way, we built a small prototype of Accelerate. We want you to take a look at it so you can get an understanding of what we're doing. We didn't spend a ton of money. Uh, we, we spent a very little bit of money to build a prototype so that you could see what we meant by our business plan. And so all of these review processes that you have to go through in the federal space, if you go through them linearly, you cannot create momentum. Many times you cannot create momentum around what you're building. But by going back every two weeks and repeatedly updating stakeholders in HHS, we could get feedback immediately uh, and we could continue to create momentum and build on what we had already created. And that, that's what's allowed us to actually go so fast. If you think about this, so in exactly one year, we've built the first functioning blockchain platform in the world for public procurement. And we've modernized the acquisition lifecycle from vendor engagement. And by the way, we have had engagement with probably 500 vendors along this journey to give feedback on Accelerate. So we've built the entire acquisition lifecycle from vendor engagement to contract closeout. And the reason we were able to do it fast is because we took this circular approach, both internally and externally, to constantly replenish our team of developers our team of strategists with the information that they need uh, to actually make the tweaks and the changes so that this can be successful. And that's kind of been our engagement strategy, both internally and externally. And that actually was part of my next question is, is where are we with it today? I know we're still, it sounds like from what Jose had mentioned earlier, we're still in the testing stage for a lot of these. So what's the test look like? Are you testing with 100 people, 500 people, or is it a specific number of procurements? Give me a sense. Yeah, so the first stage in testing is occurring right now. And remember, there are five contract writing systems. So the single most important thing to doing business is testing the ingestion and cleansing of data from the five contract writing systems into the blockchain platform and indexing that data. So we're testing the ingest and we're testing the analytic, analyzing terms and conditions and analyzing prices paid, okay? That's the first piece of testing. The second piece of testing is then is continuously bringing the functioning prototype, the functioning pilot, the proof of concept back to our 1102 workforce and getting direct feedback on all the functionality. So I'll give you just a simple example, the functionality of contract closeout and how that works, the functionality of acquisition planning and how that works. So we believe that probably around somewhere in June, somewhere right between June and July, We'll have built the entire acquisition lifecycle and we'll have fully tested and we have, will have created the ability to ingest live data from five contract writing systems in real time and pre-populate market research documents, pre-populate acquisition plans, and provide uh, terms and conditions and prices paid analysis on uh, about $9 billion in expenditure across HHS. Then what we will do is we won't, we're not going to bother our workforce during the fourth quarter because you know that that's the crush. So then in Q1 of the next fiscal year, we'll go and we'll get a targeted group of users and we'll actually test Accelerate in going through the entire acquisition lifecycle on the inside of, in, with uh, contract specialists, contracting officers inside government, program officials inside government. And we'll do the same thing on the industry side. And what we want to do there is just have them go through the entire workflow and see how it works, see how it could be better, see how information can be displayed better. And then our goal is, is, in, is toward the end of January of 2020, our goal is to actually cut those users over and have them fully use Accelerate. And that's kind of our timeline. 
our approach is not we are going to buy a commercial off-the-shelf software and we are going to spend nine weeks training everybody on how to use it and then we're going to roll it out on April 19th. Our goal is, is we are going to continuously engage through human-centered design sessions, our workforce continuously improve it and then cut over groups of users while continuously improving the system in real time. So now their job has transitioned from give us your requirements of a, for a contract writing system, tell us what you want in the future, and we'll prioritize them and fix them next fiscal year to give us your requirements, give us what's working and what's not working, and we'll fix them in the next two weeks. It's a fundamental change in the way government interacts with its system and delivers value to the taxpayer. So it's a very different model for transition. Let me put a finer point on this, Jose. You're testing it now, but you're not necessarily testing it with 1102s. You're kind of just testing it internally, but but the 1102s are part of the really? user-centered design, but it's, it's not live, I guess is the question, or, or is it in some circumstances? The, the system is live. We're testing the ability to ingest live data into the system, and we're testing the microservices. When you, the first time you used an iPhone, did you read the manual or did you use the iPhone? You intuitively understood how to use the iPhone. So when we say we're doing testing, we're actually cre making it more intuitive so that it aligns with how the 1102s and the program officials, the 343s, and the industry partners, how they think and how they want to interact with the capability. So the capability is live. We're testing the ingest of data because we have to test the ingest of data and how we kind of index it and how we analyze it. And then the capability itself, we're making it more intuitive so that it's easier to use for the 1102. So when we go to change and cut over to the system, they sit down and they, just like when you got your first iPhone, they sit down and they know that all you got to do is swipe up to open your phone and make a phone call. How do they know that? Well, hopefully they know it because it's intuitive or maybe they were a part of the human-centered design sessions, which designed the system in that way because that's how they work. That helps. The other piece of this, I guess, is... Is the end goal to close down those five contract writing systems and use Accelerate, or is the end goal something else? We have two contract writing systems that need to be modernized, and we want to move the users of those two systems to 100% to Accelerate. However, when you think about an agency like HHS and our mission, it's very decentralized. So we wanted to create a flexible capability where if an organization across HHS wants access to $24.2 billion in spend and 100,000 contracts, uh, but they have a need where they want to use their own contract writing capability, they can access our infrastructure, they can access our data through an API, uh, and they can receive the benefits of Accelerate, which is analysis of $24.2 billion and 100,000 contracts, analysis of prices paid in terms and conditions, and they can use their own workflow tool. Maybe they want to use their own contract writing capability. However, we believe that we'll be so efficient with the microservices that we've created and we'll have sped up the process so much that they may want to actually clone those microservices, carry the O&M costs for those microservices within their given agencies, and customize them so that it meets the need of the agency that they work in, while carrying the O&M cost, but sharing the burden of the infrastructure cost and sharing the data across the entire department, because sharing $24.2 billion in spend and the prices paid in terms and conditions associated with it benefits everybody. So we believe with this approach, we've created the ability to do either option, to shut down all of the contract writing systems and use Accelerate, to shut down all the contract writing systems and have multiple clones of Accelerate with customized microservices operating across the department, or 
allow for some contract writing systems that are not Accelerate to stay in play but get the benefit of sharing of data from across the entire department. We have to take a break. My guests today are Jose Arrieta, the Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary for Grants, Acquisition Policy, and Accountability at the Department of Health and Human Services, and currently the HHS CIO. Michael McFarlane, the Director of the Office of Acquisition Business Systems, Maria Jimenez, a procurement analyst in the Division of Acquisition, and Ali Pergosimi, an industry liaison at HHS. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller. Today, we're talking with the Department of Health and Human Services about their new contract writing system. My guests today, Jose Arrieta the former Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary for Grants, Acquisition Policy, and Accountability at HHS. Jose Arrieta currently is the HHS CIO. Michael McFarlane, the Director of the Office of Acquisition Business Systems. Maria Jimenez, a procurement analyst in the Division of Acquisition. And Ali Porgosimi, an industry liaison at HHS. The reason why this is innovative in many ways is not just the idea of creating a kind of one-stop shop user-centered design, but it's also the technology that underpins a lot of this. The blockchain piece, the AI piece, what made you kind of go down that path to use this technology? There were probably other ways or other ideas that were out there that HHS could have gone down the path. And in many ways, people go, oh, blockchain, you've heard this before, Jose, no one's going to ever use that, or, or that's, that's a technology that's still three, five, seven years away. For you guys, obviously, it's here today. For the folks that say that, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, the London Stock Exchange, and the Australian Stock Exchange all use blockchain right now. I believe BMW just announced the fact that they're using blockchain in their supply chain. Walmart uses it. Microsoft uses it. It's a huge part of the internal operations of IBM. So, you know, for those folks, time continues to pass, and the position that you had a year ago has fundamentally changed. And, you know, you got to kind of read the newspapers to catch up with where things are. For us, the reason that we decided to use blockchain is because we wanted to create an ability to digitize data, to index data in an immutable fashion, and to share it across an ecosystem. And whether that data was acquisition data, whether that data was human resource data, we wanted to create a flexible capability to share it. We wanted to separate business process from the data itself. We didn't want a system where the data existed in the workflow, which increases your cost for transition later on. We wanted to separate data. We wanted to keep it indexed. We wanted to have an immutable record of it. And then we wanted to actually allow for business process to occur separately. Um, And for us, a lot of people have said, well, you could have done that with a normal database. Uh, My question is, well, why hasn't somebody done it? Because I haven't actually seen that happen across government in the 15 years that I've worked in government anywhere. So for us, blockchain technology gave us the ability to digitize, gave us the ability to separate data from business process, gave us the ability to protect our data, to secure our data better than any other system that exists in the federal marketplace right now. Because remember, we're using it as an attestation layer. You have to have an encrypted key to actually access the data. The microservices that we're building are separate from the data itself, and they only access the data when they need it to execute an action but it's considered separate. So for us, uh, it was a way to move to cloud. It was a way to increase our cybersecurity posture as an agency. Um, And it was a way to use modern technology to create flexibility so the agency had the ability to evolve with long-term changes that may occur in the marketplace. 
and that's why we chose it. This is Ali, and if Oki was here, he would say, because trust, blockchain gives us trust. It's a, it's a good point, Ali, and, and thanks for bringing it up. I forgot to, to mention it. The biggest challenge with data in government is not trust in the individual you're doing business with. I can go and check and make sure a company is registered with the IRS and make sure that they've paid their taxes. But can I trust the data set associated with how many licenses we purchased last year? Can I trust the data set associated with how many gloves we purchased last year? Because what we do now is we copy data and we share it with somebody else and they do something with it. And then they, the system that we copied it from changes because we bought more gloves. With our model, we have trust in the data. Because anybody that interacts with our model, whether they're using their own contract writing system or the, whether they're using our microservices, the record of index data is updated for everybody in real time the second that the change occurs. We have trust in the data set. That's such a great point because so many times you hear about the challenges and not just with acquisition, but let's we can pick on acquisition for a second, is that idea of, well, the data is always behind or, or the data is always very dirty. And what you're doing, and, and again, you're starting, you're not starting at zero, so not all your data is perfect. But going forward, from whatever point you start from, that data will be perfect, and that becomes authoritative, which then you can use to make better decisions, not just within acquisition, but across all of HHS. That's probably one of the other, if you will, intended benefits of this effort. Yeah, I just, Michael, you're exactly right there, um, Jason. The data is going to get better as we get more of it in there. One inherent reason is, of course, the blockchain and the trust and the immutable records is going to be had. But the other one is, as you have the data and make it available and useful to the people who are responsible for putting the data in, they will then have more reason to make sure that better data is in there. And we'll be able to then put in place some policies and things on how stuff is put in, what structure is in there, and it won't be such a burden because it's then going to speed things up for the workforce down the line, not just for some oversight group to do reports and things. The one thing I want to just maybe leave with is this effort by HHS, you guys didn't find the magic bullet. You guys didn't invent something new per se. You didn't You didn't all of a sudden think of something that nobody maybe has ever thought of before. What is your advice to other agencies as they're saying, hey, we have similar problems. Can we borrow, one, your, your process and, and your, your work so far? Or B, how, how should we get started, whether it's using blockchain or AI or just looking at the process improvement more generally? What's, what's some advice or what recommendations do you have? This is Michael. I mean, as, as an old dog, 1102, for 30 years, uh, I would encourage people to look at what the new technologies and the new agile processes uh, are capable of. Um, it took me a while to understand how it works, but it opens up a lot of abilities when you get out of the paradigm of we're going to look at something for two years, we're going to write down a bunch of requirements, we're going to put out an RFP, we're going to take a bunch of proposals and, and then pick one and then spend another couple of years building something and then you know, show it to the workforce for testing and things like that. And it's been an education thing we've had to do with the, um, with the workforce as we're doing the human-centered design. It's been very interesting 
as they start to realize, oh, this isn't the thing. You're building it while I'm doing it, and and that clicks things on because it, it makes it more responsive. Hey, this is Maria. I agree 100%. My advice would be begin the dialogue early, right at the very beginning. Open up that conversation. Don't be afraid of uh, being challenged with um, concerns and fear and anxiety. It's all good. It all cooks into the process. It's part of the process. It's a fantastic opportunity to truly engage your workforce and provide them a voice. Um, many times it's the first time that someone has ever asked them, what are your pain points? Uh, what is your experience with technology? Do you trust it? What about it don't you trust? So that would be my, my advice. Yeah, and this is Ali. Uh, my advice is just to engage your leadership, come to them with a solution, maybe do a proof of concept and, you know, innovate. And, and if you have to fail, fail quick. Fail, fail at a low cost rather than down the line you figure out you did something wrong and, and you're stuck. So that would be my advice. And Jason, I think that the thing that you heard over and over again is what was innovative about this really was the approach of allowing the workforce to shape their future. This is very empowering for the workforce to say, you know, Jose, Michael, Maria, and Ali didn't create Accelerate. The HHS acquisition workforce created Accelerate. They showed up at meetings and they showed us how they used their existing capabilities and they showed us what they needed and they created it. And that is very empowering. Uh, that's a way where you can impact culture. That's a way where people are put in the center of what's being done so they feel more valued. And that's a way where what needs to be done to support them actually occurs because they're the ones driving it. And it's interesting, if you take that approach, uh, the outcome that you'll get is even more powerful than the, any like improved technology because you're actually changing the way the workforce thinks about their job and thinks about how they impact the mission and thinks about the control they have over how different things impact them. And, it, it, and that's really kind of what we've seen. So start with your workforce. Guys, this has been a fascinating conversation. So let me first uh, thank my guest, Jose Arrieta, the Acting Deputy Assistant Secretary for Grants, Acquisition, Policy, and Accountability at HHS. Jose, thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. We really appreciate you taking the time and, and the interest on your, on your end. And Michael McFarland, the Director of the Office of Acquisition Business Systems. Michael, thank you as well. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And Maria Jimenez, the Procurement Analyst within the Division of Acquisition at HHS. Maria, thank you as well. Thank you for this time and opportunity. And finally, Ali Pragasami, the Industry Liaison for HHS. Ali, thank you too. Thank you, Jason, and thanks for not butchering my name. Appreciate that. My pleasure. We have to take a break. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this part of the show, we shift gears to talk about cybersecurity. My guest is Willie Crenshaw, the Program Executive for the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation, or CDM, office at NASA. I caught up with Crenshaw after he spoke at the recent FCW CDM conference. Well, first, Willie, thanks. Appreciate the, the time. You mentioned the in your speech at the FCW CDM event about you have you see a lot of opportunities for CDM to use that beyond what DHS is maybe asking, mandating, emphasizing you guys to do. You got, you're setting up a couple different teams, one to handle what DHS is asking you to do, but then also some internal needs. Can you just talk through that a little bit? What, what's that look like? I'm sure they work together, but talk a little bit about that, that where that idea came from as well. During phase one um, of CDM deployment, 
we decided that we needed a team within NASA that understood NASA to make it a little bit um, easier to implement the CDM tools. It were familiar faces that have worked with the missions and the programs before, so we called it a surge team. So we also added some additional resources in, in the form of people with expertise in the different, you know, in Big Fix and all the different, um, different ones to, to make sure that it got implemented properly. So what that team did is they worked together with the missions and to be able to explain it, to be able to work with the CDM integrator to be able to explain what was going on within NASA, to deal with the culture, to deal with the different types of things as, as we move forward in implementing. So what we're going to do, what we've done, is that we're going to mirror a team for DEFEND to have that team because it's a little bit different than just implementing the tools. It's, it's more so of us also processing the RFSs within the request for services within the agency. Since we have to, the agency has to talk to DHS about the requirements, we don't want the integrator doing that. So we work with the integrator, so we'll have our own team within NASA that will work with the integrator, thus work with our components and our missions and programs to get their requirements, and then we'll create the RFS, and then we'll push it up to DHS for them to execute. So when it comes back down through the integrator, the integrator then works with our team, our NASA team, to go ahead and get it integrated. So in, in many ways, what you're trying to figure out is if DHS says do credential or access management or the, whatever the next level of, of the um, algorithms are for around aware, you may say, okay, that's one thing we'll do with, with our, through Defend and our, and our team. But if the team comes back and says, hey, JPL, Ames, whichever, Kennedy has said, would be really nice to have this capability too. You'll, you'll work it the opposite way. Yeah, right, exactly. So so you have your, your set of requests for services that's coming from DHS for all the groups, you know, all the agencies within our group, Group D, to do. So we want to make sure that that priority gets met as far as their requirements. But then we have our own. So we may, let's say we need ongoing authorization or cloud. We may be ready to do cloud. A CDM in the cloud. So what we will do is generate an RFS, get DHS's requirements, get our own requirements, and then we'll push that up and say, hey, DHS, in addition to um, the RFS you gave us, here's some that NASA wants to do as well. So the program is flexible like that and helps us do that. So, so we like that model. That, that seems to be a little different approach than what a lot of agencies are doing. And, and you mentioned in the beginning of the conversation that this came from maybe the phase one surge effort. What's the reaction from maybe the centers? Are they happy that there's this like, oh, it's a group of people we know, we trust, if you will, because they're not the integrator, they're not DHS, they're NASA employees? Is is that kind of where that, that building of when you talk about culture change came from? Yeah, and, and it builds the trust. And, and it also helps them build a trust with the team, with the integrator that's embedded with, with the NASA team. So that, that definitely is how it's, it's done. You know, these it's about relationships. And so we built these relationships over years with the missions. We've done things. Some of us have worked with the missions, you know, on the project. So they understand, you know, the little intricacies of the project. So, yeah, definitely um, that's help. That helps a lot. And then they know that the integrator, once the integrator's there, they understand the integrator and it builds that trust because they know we're going to listen. They know that we're going to do what's best for them and the agency. How big are these teams? Are we talking about three or four people? Are we talking about 10, ten people? Or are they... Are, are they different based on the needs and the requirements? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. We, the, the last group was a little bit bigger 
um, because of the requirements. This team may not be as big because we've kind of put operations in one place and then we put all the new stuff for defend that comes in. So then we'll kind of hand that off. There's there's a handoff between the the implementation and integration team and the operations team that continues the operations and the maintenance of the stuff that's already in. So just going back, is it, is it a couple people? Is it a bunch of people? Is it you know more than a dozen? Can, do you get a sense? On the operations side, it's more than a dozen because it's services. It's all the services combined. My team, so to speak, the defend team may be a little bit smaller because we're not doing the operations and the actual integration of it. So we're just doing the processing and gathering of requirements. So that may be about three or four, maybe five people. Yeah. And, and they're traveling around or you guys are at least holding some sort of weekly, monthly daily meetings about requirements, needs as they come up. Give me a sense of how the, what the process is. Right now we're doing a road show. So we're traveling to every center to, to communicate and to, to tell them what the FEND is and what our process is. The other piece of this is you talk about how successful CDM is. So can you maybe talk a little bit about the, the actual impact it's having on the NASA cybersecurity, whether it's by you know number of systems that are patched or number of you know percentage of, of incidents that are down. What are some of those hard metrics you guys look at? The patching, of course, because we're able to see more assets. We're able to make sure, ensure that the assets are patched. NASA had something before. And let me just interrupt. I, it was a troubled something before. I mean, I've done stories where there was something to the effect of three, four hundred thousand assets that were questionable whether they were patched or not. But if without going into old history, right. uh, that's what I'm trying to get to is, is, is how's it better? So it's, it's greatly improved because, again, you know, we, we've standardized on on patching. We're able to see more assets and we're able to then thus patch. So, yeah, we've definitely seen a, a, a increase in the number of systems patched. Um, we've also seen the time decreasing when we get those patched. Some, some stuff at NASA so you just can't just go throw the patch on it. You have to test it out and things like that. But we have the data. We're able to build those metrics and those types of things. So being able to see more assets, of course, our patching levels have gone down. And we've greatly improved our scorecard, even with the, the cyberscope and things like that, because we're able to patch better. We're able to uh, put more things in place. We're able to get that coverage, even with our vulnerability manager and our scanning. Um, our scanning has increased ac across the agency. So, of course, we're going to be able to, to see things a little bit quicker. So that's how the program has helped us. By us going to an enterprise level, we now have the standard set and everyone can come to that and get their reports and see what's going on rather than having this tool over here, this tool over here. Now everyone has one central point and dashboard where they can see things and they can act on it quicker. And I'm sure, as you mentioned, not only can you act on it in the CISO and the CIO, but then also NASA leadership who maybe are not involved in IT every day, they can understand if there's a problem, you can explain it to them, and then they can react or, or they can make sure you react <laughs> a little more quickly. Is that the other well, kind that, of... Yeah, that visibility and also, you know, it tells the story. It's easy to say something's not patched, but it's also, why is it not patched? So we're able to tell the story better to the leadership as well. That's all the time we have for today. Users are from Willie Crenshaw, the Program Executive for the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation, or CDM, office at NASA. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.
You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 